0: Certainly is wonderful to be here with you today and we appreciate the presence of all that have come to be with us and as always is the case it is my privilege to be able to speak concerning the word of God. We're continuing our lesson from last time regarding the Christian's warfare. And yes, we are in a battle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood as the great apostle Paul would say, but we do have a war and a battle that's going on every day that we live in Christ. I invite your attention to the 6th chapter of the book of Ephesians, and as an introduction, we'll just read one verse there. That's verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places." As we continue our study today, this morning, we're going to talk a little bit more about the enemy. We're going to talk about Satanism and the world of the occult. And you remember last time when we talked about the idea of being in a spiritual battle day by day, there's no reason why the child of God should ever lose the battle. Those very encouraging things that we talked about from God's Word. If a child of God would do three things, he would win the battle over Satan. Number one, you got to prepare yourself for the battle. How do you do that? Be a faithful member of the body of Christ that draws his strength from the Lord and not your own. That's number one. Number two, to win the battle against the devil, you got to put on the armor. And number three, you got to identify the enemy and resist him. And if we will do that, we can defeat the devil. This morning, though, I want to entitle our remarks, Satan's Army. He does have an army, and that'll be the last part of our lesson when we deal with that very idea. The idea of the occult is on the rise in our country. And believe it or not, many young people are seeking their spiritual identity through Satanism. In fact, Satanism has become an issue of great concern in our society today. It's a phenomenon that has crossed the city limits, and it's made its way into the rural areas of our nation. In fact, Satanism, as one man put it, is not just a big city problem. It is not just a problem that you find in our larger cities like Los Angeles, San Francisco, or New York, or other great big cities. It's something that has found their way all over the land. In fact, news wires carry story after story about young children that are kidnapped, only to be found later as victims of some bizarre ritualistic crime. You know, to help us gain a very balanced perspective of the subject, author C.S. Lewis wrote this, wrote a book entitled The Screwtape Letters. And by the way, I didn't know what screw tape meant, so I looked it up. Screwtape actually is a fictitious name for the devil, for Satan. And so he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and he said this regarding Satan and his army. He said this, and I quote, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight, end quote. Satanism challenges the biblical teaching regarding man's relationship with others. The Bible would say that we esteem others better than ourself. In fact, we talk about the idea of being in the body of Christ, we are the family of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says, We are all members of that body, and when one would suffer, we all suffer with it. When one rejoices, we all rejoice together. And then in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. That's what the Bible says. Satanism is the opposite of that. Satanism esteems self over others. A young Satanist believed that a strong and the strong will actually one day rule with Satan. But then it gets worse. This is very sad to me as I read this. When someone is sufficiently involved in Satanic activity, they make a pact with Satan. That in a future time, they commit a date in which they will take their own life by suicide their belief is if they submit themselves to satan by death then they'll come back in another life stronger and be able to rule with the devil forever you know something about statistics statistics are outdated just about the time that they're read or written kind of like an iphone or a computer so keeping that in mind i don't know how up-to-date these are but these are statistics that i did find Regarding Satanism, I'm not talking about suicide for any other reason. I'm just talking about young people taking their own life for the devil. Fourteen young people every single day take their own life. Mark it, friends. Satan is after our youth. Satan is after our youth. Satanism offers its lure through youthful things in society, like sinful things like fornication and drugs. Now let me ask you this, what is the picture in your mind of the profile of a Satanist? I got to admit something to you. My profile, and sometimes we stereotype, we shouldn't do that. But sometimes we do that, I did that. I had a picture when I started studying this out. I had a picture in my mind of a young Satanist. And I had a picture of this. Oh, a very dark person. Maybe a person that didn't have any friends. I don't know a whole lot about it, but maybe they were gothic. Maybe they wore the black all the time, the deep dark kind of person. Maybe they were people that just kind of give you the creeps. That's not the profile of a young Satanist. These are statistics. Listen to this. The profile has emerged, and they are generally, get this, from a white middle to upper middle class family that fall into that category. In most cases, They do well in school. They're bright. But oftentimes, they're bored and unchallenged to meet their potential. You know, my grandfather, Frank Bruncotto, the one I was named after, used to say all the time, my dad quoted him. And it was this. Idle hands are tools for the devil. And then he would say, and an idle mind is his workshop. Idleness is very dangerous. You can have the brightest of bright kids and have idle time of unproductive time and get in trouble. Idle hands are tools for the devil. Idle minds are his workshop. I think that's why my dad just worked us like slaves as kids. There's another great influence on young people today. You know what it is? It's music. It's music. Music has always been at the center of the youth culture. Now... Let me just say, I am not preaching against modern music. I was young too, I get that. I'm not preaching against modern music. What I'm saying is be very careful about the lyrics of whatever it is that you're listening to. If the lyrics promote violent and sinful behavior, be very careful. It will have an impact on you. You might say, no, not me. Yeah, you. Do You ever hear about a man called the Night Stalker? His name is Richard Ramirez of Los Angeles, California. You know what he did? He believed that Satan would make him invincible. Police said he was a serial killer. Police said that the brutal style of his rapes and the 16 murders that he committed resemble the lyrics of the song Night Prowler on ACDC's LP Highway to Hell. In addition to that, along with his fascination with ACDC. He used cocaine and PCP in conjunction with a deep interest in satanic worship, believing that Satan would protect him, and on and on it goes. You know, Satanism is a growing concern, obviously, in our culture, and with this growth comes a great deal of confusion and lack of understanding. And because of that, I want to notice the following with you. There is a difference between a cult and the occult. The first thing I want to notice with you is the definition of a cult. A cult is a group or of people polarized around an individual with a magnetic personality who deviates from Orthodox Christianity by distorting the central message of the Bible by additional revelation or by introducing their personal understanding of primary biblical doctrines, such as the person of Jesus Christ, heaven, hell, salvation, and atonement. That is the definition of a cult. But what about the occult? The occult is simply defined as follows. It is secret or hidden knowledge. It's the knowledge that is discerned, get this, not by the five senses. And therefore, it is supernaturally received through the practice of divination. Now, simply put, it's knowledge received by some supernatural involvement or connection. Now, what does divination mean? The word divination means the practice of seeking knowledge of the future or unknown by supernatural means. All right, what does the Bible say? And by the way, I don't have every scripture on here. If you're taking notes, write them down. We're going to cover a lot of scripture. We're going to back up everything we say with the word of God. What does God think about all this stuff? Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 10. is what God thinks about all that stuff. There shall not be found among you anyone who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who conjures spells or get this. She's got her own show or a medium or a spiritist. Or one who calls up the dead. For all these things are an abomination to the Lord. Because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. Leviticus 19 and 26. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 26. Watch this. You shall not eat anything with the blood. Now we get that. We get that. We understand about that. Look at the next part. Nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. And again, it's the idea of trying to acquire knowledge or future uh, knowledge of something. It's, it's to acquire anything in the future through supernatural forces. What's God think about all this? You know, sometimes we tell our kids. Sometimes we tell our kids. Don't do this. And if you do this, you will have that as a consequence. And sometimes kids go ahead and do it anyway. Kind of like old enough to know better and young enough to do it anyway. And they do it anyway. And when confronted with the consequence, it's almost as if they stand there and say, You were serious about that? How serious is God about what he just said in Deuteronomy and Leviticus? And you remember the life of King Saul. And just bear with me. I'm going to be very brief about this. We know the life of King Saul, the very first king. We know that. We know God rejected him because he deviated from what God said. God said, go destroy the Amalekites. He didn't do it. He left Agag and all the animals, and he was going to sacrifice it. Samuel said, it's better to obey than to sacrifice, and we know the story. What did Samuel say? He said, because you have done this thing, God has rejected you as king. And King David would be the anointed of God, and he would follow suit when Saul died. Right? We get that. Do you remember when Jonathan and David became really good friends? And you remember how we talk about the idea that when Jonathan died, he died with Saul. He died with his brothers. They all died together. And David mourned their passing. And David said, oh, how the mighty are fallen. He wrote that beautiful thing. He talks about his friendship with Jonathan. You want to find out why Saul died? This is why he died. First Chronicles chapter 10. Beginning in verse 13. This is why he died. So Saul died. Number one. For his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord. That's when he goes back to the Amalekites. But there's more. Watch this. And also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he, capital H, God did what? It says God killed him. And turned the kingdom over to David the son of Jesse did you get that God said don't do it don't do that God said don't do that he did that and God killed him Leviticus 20 and 6 here is talking about the person that turns to a medium Leviticus 20 and 6. And the person who turns to mediums or familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cast him off from his people. That's a person that turns to a medium. Here's a person now that is a medium. Leviticus 20 and 27. A man or a woman who is a medium or who has familiar spirits shall surely be put to death they shall stone them with stones their blood shall be upon them so is it wrong to be a part of that it sure is god has always been against that here's another form of the occult here it is it is the idea of witchcraft witchcraft is the use of scripturally forbidden supernatural powers to manipulate people and events Commonly known as the craft of the wise or Wicca. The worship of nature and feminine energies, it's all encapsulated under mother nature. Witchcraft is manifested in two opposing views, white magic and black magic or witchcraft. And by the way, Deuteronomy we've already read in terms of witchcraft is condemned by God in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 10. Now, sometimes people say, well, if it's white magic, it's okay. The only thing that's bad is black magic. What's the difference? White magic is the use of supernatural power to manipulate a person or an event to bring about good. It's the practice of divination. There's that word again. God condemned that. God's against that is used to bring about positive results such as knowledge healing etc and most people that are involved in this will say this is really good because after all it's to achieve that which is good what's the difference between white magic and black magic black magic is the use of supernatural power to manipulate a person or an event to bring about evil or destruction. It's the manipulation that is achieved by the use of rituals and casting out spells. And by the way, that's also the kind of magic that is used of sacrifices too. It's the one that's connected to satanic activity. It's the idea of giving in to all of your cravings and all of your desires. Satanism. Unlike witchcraft, Satanism is the worship of Satan, formerly known as Lucifer and the practice of black magic. Satanism is a reaction against the Christian church and the word of God in particular. Satanism promotes a do-what-you-want attitude and ultimately the worship of yourself. Now, I put it on this morning. I don't know why it didn't stay on there. I guess I didn't save it. I didn't mean to, but I want to talk about the Church of Satan. There actually is a Church of Satan. It was formed in 1966. Its founder is a man named Anton Zandor LeVay. He established the very first satanic church called the Church of Satan. He became the author in 1969, it was published, The Satanic Bible. And by the way, The Satanic Bible is the greatest, largest sense or largest source of satanic activity, rituals, and satanic practice that young people draw their information from. Now, Somebody might say, nobody buys The Satanic Bible, I've never even seen it. Did you know that the Satanic Bible, go into a bookstore one of these days, go into a large bookstore, a large secular bookstore, and you will find that it is on the shelf. How many people have bought that? How many copies have been sold? 600,000 copies have been sold of the Satanic Bible. All right. What about categories of involvement? Categories of involvement. Anyone that's involved in any aspect of satanic worship or satanic idea or satanism or the occult will fall into one of four categories. Number one, the multi-generational international organization. That's, in other words, part of the great big international broadcasting of Satan. It is full-fledged Church of Satan on an international scale. Next, national organizations. That's the same thing, but limited to nationally recognized organizations. Thirdly, independent, self-styled people. I guess this would be called, I guess if you want to try to give it a name, I guess you could probably call it, I don't know, non-denominational Satanists. Yeah, really, like the individual that decides how they're going to do it. How they're going to honor the devil. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what what you know or who you've known in your life. But to my knowledge, unless they totally kept it hidden, I don't know anybody that's part of the multi-generational international organization of Satan. I don't. I don't know anybody that's part of the national organization of Satan either, to my knowledge. And to my knowledge, I don't know anybody that's an independent self-styled Satanist. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you something. I've known some people that fall into the next one, and so have you. Here it is the individual dabbler, the individual dabbler. In fact, the greatest increase in involvement is among this group, the dabbler. The dabbler, and here's the profile again, get this. The dabbler in most cases is from a middle to upper middle Caucasian home, and oftentimes they use alcohol, they use drugs, and other forms of controlled substances. Okay, and we might look at that and say, well, yeah, but we're not into the devil. You know what else falls into this category of a dabbler? Here it is. This is also a dabbler. Those that consult mediums, psychics, horoscopes, fortune tellers, Ouija boards, all manner of tarot cards, That falls under the category of the individual dabbler. And by the way, I didn't make that up. That came from the people that consider themselves as experts on the field of satanic activity. Most people are falling under the category of an individual dabbler. You remember when I said that Satan's after our young folks? Remember when I said that? I'm going to tell you something. As a parent, I know it. As a parent, you know it. As a grandparent, many of you know it. Satan is after our young people today. And the fight and the war is tougher than it has ever been. And it's only going to get tougher. Now, I did say we don't have to lose the battle, and that is true. But the battle is difficult. The battle is raging, and it is before our young people. Young people are recruited to being under the influence of the devil by a combination of the following. Number one, free drugs and the sinful act of fornication. And by the way, I'm going to call it that. It didn't say that. It was the S word. I, can't, I really have a hard time saying that from the pulpit. Okay? Okay. But sometimes people say, well, all that is is just an expression between two people that love each other. No, it's fornication and it's a sin. And the devil is after our kids through drugs and the sin of fornication. How about companionship? How about camaraderie? By the way, power is another one. And I I mean individual power. What does the Bible say? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Think soberly. Don't be conceited. Let another man praise thee, not with thine own mouth, a stranger, not with thine own lips. That's what the Bible says. Do you know what the idea of power is here? It's the idea that Satan can attract people and tell them how powerful and great they are. In other words, you've got to have a higher level of esteem. How about money? Money. You know, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. People misquote that all over the place. That's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Satan works through those means. Now, I'm going to put the next one up, and I'm just going to tell you, this is a real problem in our world today. And what I read in the last couple of weeks studying this out, what I read is it's one of the number one things that the devil is using to try to get young people. You know what it is? Pornography. It is a serious problem, it is a tool of the devil. Look at all this: gratification, companionship, power, money, all the things to attract to your senses and give in to them. That's what the devil wants. And finally, personal choice. These are Satan's recruiting tools. So what is Satan's goal in all this? Make no mistake about it. Satan's goal is to deceive man by blinding him to the truth of the gospel. And receive worship to himself. That's what the devil does. And by the way, if the picture of the devil is some guy with horns and this ugly looking creature, if that's really the way the devil comes at us, he wouldn't get anybody. We'd all run. He gets us through that. He gets us through like he got Eve. Thou shalt not surely die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. You got to what? You got to have a better esteem. You got to have a little more power. Oh, you deserve it. You deserve it. Give in to the gratifications of the flesh. You know why? You're deserving of it. But it has always been a ploy by the devil to get get people to worship him. I'm going to notice some scriptures with you. Okay, write them down if you're taking notes. Matthew 4 and 9. Let's go all the way back to the greatest one that ever lived. Let's go back to the Lord. And he's being tempted by the devil. And the Bible says, and he said to him, all these things I will give to you. Now, he talks about all the kingdoms of the world. Now, why could Satan say that about the kingdoms of the world? What did we establish last time? Satan is the God, small g, the God of the world. He is the prince of the power of darkness. He is the prince in the power of this world. All that is in the Bible. So Satan takes Jesus up to a high mountain and the pinnacle and all of that and he looks out over all the kingdoms of the world and he said, you can have it all. Just fall down and worship me. How about 2 Corinthians 4? Beginning in verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those that are perishing. That's the new King James. The King James says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Whose minds the God, small g, of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. Here's another one. Revelation 12 and 9. We talked about this last time. Now, in Revelation, he's called the dragon. And he has a tail. In Revelation 12 and 9, it says, So the dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. In other words, Satan was in heaven. He was Lucifer. We know that. We talked about that last time. He's the dragon. And he took a third of the host of heaven with him. How do I know that? Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 12. How are the mighty fallen from heaven? O Lucifer, that's the devil, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground. You are weakened, the nations, for you have said in your heart, This is why, by the way, he was kicked out of heaven. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. That's the reason Satan was cast out. He said, I'm going to be like the most high. Who's the most high? That's God. And God said And Satan, Lucifer, and, going to get to that in a little bit, his army was kicked out of heaven. All right. In fact, it says, you shall be brought down to Shoal. By the way, that's a word for hell. You'll be cast down to Shoal to the lowest depths of the pit. And that's where he is today. He is in Tartarus, waiting what? Waiting the resurrection. Waiting the judgment when he will be cast into the lake of fire, the place that was created for the devil and those angels. All right. On a practical level. On a practical level. And by the way, if Satan can do this, he's got a stronghold in your life. If he can do this. Satan desires to alter an individual's values. Turn them against themselves. Turn them against their beliefs. Turn them against their family. Turn them against God. And even turn them against society. If the devil offering all of that stuff can get people to do that, he's got a stronghold in their life. He's got them. All right, that's Lucifer. That's Satan. But he's got an army. Let's meet them now. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but with, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Remember this from last time. The word wrestle literally is translated from a word that means hand-to-hand combat until the death. We're not just talking about two guys going on a mat In those jumpsuits that they wear and wrestle around and pin the other one. We're talking about something that is always to the death. That's what that means. And what Paul is saying is, we don't fight to the death against what? Against flesh and blood. We don't fight people. We don't take other people's lives. But we are in a battle. We wrestle against principalities. Against powers. Against the rulers of darkness of this age. And against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly All right. So the first one is principalities. So since we don't fight against flesh and blood, it has to be referring to political distinctions among spiritual creatures. Principalities, powers, and rulers is talking about just that. Spiritual, political distinctions among those creatures. Specifically, the angels or demons that were cast out of heaven. Those wicked angels with Satan or Lucifer. Now, the word principalities refers to the same corrupted angelic office as mentioned in the book of Jude. Look at Jude verse 6. You know, first I'm going to read the first part in the King James, then the New King James, then another translation. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, that's the New King James. The King James says, and the angels who did not keep their first estate. Another translation renders it like this, and that's what the passage actually means and is referring to. Angels that did not keep their positions of authority. That's what's being Described here, we're talking about political distinctions among angelic, demonic beings. And principalities appears to be the head, the top of that. You got Satan or Lucifer, and then you have principalities. Then it goes on to say, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. Now, very, 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 very important message that's found in the book of Colossians about this. We're talking about those things that have a tremendous amount of power. But all of the powers that we're talking about, every one of them, they are all inferior to Jesus Christ for two reasons. I just love encouraging passages in the Bible. You read about all the bad stuff and then here's a a ray of hope. Watch this. The first reason is because Christ created them. So it doesn't make any difference what happens. He is always going to be superior to them because, number one, he created them. Do you remember when the Bible says of Jesus, he was made a little lower than the angels? You know what that means? That means so he could die. Angels don't die. But at no time was Jesus ever subordinate to or inferior to these demonic beings. Never. Number one, why? He created them. Colossians 1 16 for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers or all things were created through him and for him. Okay. In addition to that though, Jesus will always be superior because of the victory over them at the cross. Remember that passage in Hebrews last week? It doesn't matter whatever happens. He will always be superior because he created them and he whipped them at the cross. You want to talk about a whipping? The Lord was victorious over the devil at the cross. Colossians Colossians 2.15 Having disarmed, and by the way, this is what he did to them, having, we're talking, about, we're talking about principalities, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Now, because of that, because of that, he is exalted to God's right hand. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. He's above them all. He whipped him at the cross. Ephesians 1, verses 20 and 21. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above principality, There it is again and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one that is to come. Now, here's some great news. What's some great news? Here's some great news. Because of the victory that Christ had over the devil at the cross, the child of God shares in that same victory. When you are baptized into Christ, Romans 6. When you are baptized into Christ and you contact the blood of Jesus, guess what happened? You've become victorious over the devil too. How do I know that? Ephesians 2 and 6. Watch this. And raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus Revelation 1 and 6 and he has made us kings and priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We share in the same victory. Isn't that great? And finally, along this line, not only, not only did the devils lose and Jesus was victorious over them at the cross, but there's more. Guess what? Not only were they disarmed, but you know what now? Now they got to sit back and watch the parade. they got a whipping, and now they got to watch the parade. What is that? I'm talking about the evil powers observing God's wisdom that's manifested through the church. Ephesians 3 and 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. To who? Principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The Lord's over all of them. And now they're sitting back and they're watching the wisdom of God today through the church. I'm just going to spend just a second on this one. It seems to me it's just a lower, a step down of the political distinctions among them. But it's the same kind of thing. And it's called powers. Strong said it refers to another angelic position of authority. So if it's another angelic position of authority, it's not the same as principalities. And by the way, if you read in the New Testament about principalities powers, it's always in that order. So that seems to me that principalities is higher than a power, but it's the same thing. Another political distinction among them. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Rulers of darkness of this age. So principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this age. This phrase identifies spiritual rulers who act on behalf of Satan to bring the world under his control. Remember, Satan is the god of this world. Second Corinthians 4 and 4 says, Whose minds the god of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. John 12 and 31 says that Satan is the ruler of this world, but make no mistake about it. We need to be aware of his devices. Why? Because the Bible says he often even would disguise himself as an angel of light. Second Corinthians 11 and 14. Okay. Here's some more great news and I'm almost finished. Stay with me. Here's some more great news. We have been transferred, if you're a Christian, from the domain of darkness, and you have been brought to and inserted in the kingdom of God's dear Son. If you're a member of the church, if you're a faithful Christian, if you're baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourself with Christ, you are part of his body. I'm going to tell you something. If you would proactively keep the devil out of your life, In the way that the word of God says to do that, he cannot have a stronghold in your life. And I'm going to tell you something else. It's not by your own strength. It's by the strength and the promise of the Lord. It's his strength. I'm going to tell you, you can't beat the devil on your own. You cannot. You can't. So we have to resist him and stay away from him. The rulers of darkness, the powers and the principalities. And Lucifer himself has no power over you if you will not allow it. One final thing. What about spiritual wickedness? What's that talking about? You know, the phrase is better translated against the spiritual forces of wickedness. Now, I'm going to tell you, we don't know all the forces or powers that this phrase is talking about. And I'm going to tell you something. I read some spooky stuff. I read some pretty, pretty spooky stuff that I can't explain. I'll just tell you that right now. There's some stuff that goes on out there that I cannot explain. I don't even have an explanation. I thought I would. As I went in, I thought by the time I got out at the end of this, I would have every single explanation about spiritual wickedness, and I do not. I don't. All I know is we better be like the Ephesians. But what does that mean? Do you remember in Acts 19, really briefly? Do you remember in Acts 19 about those at Ephesus? When they believed, they confessed, the Bible says, about what? That they were guilty of witchcraft, they were guilty of divination, they were guilty of all that stuff. You know what they did? They realized because they are Christians now, they got to get rid of all of that. They have to get rid of all the spiritual wickedness that's found in their life. You know what they did? The Bible says they brought all their books of witchcraft and burned them. Wonder how much it would cost. Remember how much the Lord was sold for? The Lamb of God, the greatest one that ever lived. 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Do you know how much? This is the impact it had on the Ephesians. They knew how awful it is for a Christian to be involved in that kind of stuff. You know what they did? They burned it all. You know how much it cost? The Bible says 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000 pieces of silver. That's what you need to do. Get rid of anything if you have it that has anything to do with the occult. Stay away from false prophets, psychics, mediums, channelers, divination, or those who have consulting familiar spirits of the dead, trying to consult the dead, Isaiah 8, 19. Sorcerers are those that practice witchcraft, Second Chronicles 33 and six. Ouija boards, tarot cards, palm readers, tea leaf readers, astrologers, horoscopes, crystal healing, transcendental meditation, astro-flying, theosophy, gnosticism, and many other forms of Satanism, paganism, idolatry, and those who practice new age religion. Get rid of it. Have nothing to do with it. Don't be one of those individual dabblers. Finally, this one final thought. He says in heavenly places at the end of the passage. Now, what's that talking about? That term is signifying the realm of reality that reaches beyond the earth, that which is earthly in nature. In fact, I think the New American Standard just says the heavenlies. leaves. It's talking about a world that is separate from this world. Now, in that spiritual world, there is a battle going on between good and evil for your soul. But you know, I'll tell you something. We don't have to lose Prepare yourself. Be a faithful member of the body of Christ. Draw your strength from the Lord and not yourself, and you can whip the devil too. Because guess what? We have victorious optimism. As Jesus is victorious over them, so are we. Why? Because of the cross. Number two, got to put on the armor. Got to put the armor on. And number three, Understand who the enemy is and resist him. And you know what James 4, 7 says? Submit yourself, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at...